Okay, now I hear you. Yeah. What's going on, man? All right, cool. Not much. Uh, I've been busy. <laughs> you going crazy? For everyone listening, Dell Comstock, former Delta Force. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I just had a had a brain fart. Six degree black belt, canine trainer, actor, movie star, bodybuilder, weightlifter, canine <laughs> trainer, author. I mean, G- PhD. I mean, Jesus Christ, check all the boxes. I hate having you on because it just illustrates how short I come up and everything. Because <laughs> I have on other guys, and it's like, oh, they have their interests. I have my interests. I have on you, and I'm like, God damn it. Dale's done everything. It's <laughs> not I quite guess, everything. <laughs> yeah, almost, man. I mean, but it's good. It, it makes me, yeah. Well, on that note, on everything. Um, so, one thing you talk about in your book, American Badass, on Amazon and Kindle, is you talk about. Um, visualization and autogenic condi- or an autogenic conditioning, and uh, you and I talked about this on the first podcast, episode fifty. How uh, visualization kind of gets kind of gets a bad rap from people because it's so associated with kind of hippie, woo woo, new age. But I was so surprised because it's something I've done my whole life, and I think it's what got me into medical school. It's what kept me going every single day. Because you can get hyped up about going to med school. I want to be a doctor. But, you know, on day 700 of biochemistry, you got to have something else to keep you going. And I always visualized. I'd always visualize what it would be like to get accepted, how happy I would be, how proud my family would be, what it would feel like to hold the letter, all all this stuff. And that would always keep me going. It was just a little ray of sunshine, just a little breath of fresh air that kept me going. Just, yeah, it was like a a taste of it. And you talked about it in your book. And that that was so refreshing because it was like, holy shit, here's this guy that is on the farthest opposite end of, you know, like hippie, you know, oh, it'll come to you, man. It's like, here you are, just like the definition of man. And it's like, and here's this guy and he's talking about visualization. And I was like, holy fuck, this is, this is the guy. This is, it's, it's like you never hear the two. It's either visualization or it's like super hard ass on the other end. You just got to work. You just got to put, and you do got to work. But you talked about it and I was like, that's awesome. And not only that, it's not like, it's not like you're just some guy. You were in Delta Force at 2023. 20, like when, so when you talk about how, how you achieve goals, like you, you have people have to listen because you don't just do that. You don't, no one just does that, you know? So what what is your process of autogenic conditioning of visualization? I'm talking too much. Okay, um, so let me give you a little a little background, a little yeah. history on how I um, stumbled across this. Right, so it actually happened when I was about 15 years old, playing baseball, and uh, essentially I played left field. Right, if if mm-hmm. I didn't play left out, so <laughs> I wasn't a very good baseball player and not very confident at either. And uh, I remember one day my coach asked me to play third base, which I was mortified to play third base, right? Because it was, you know, in the infield, you know, and more chances of making mistakes and all kinds of stuff, right? And so, um, but I played, I went ahead and did it anyways. And I did, I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of errors, right? I, so much so that, you know, the um, parents in the, in the bleachers were yelling at me. I mean, they'd walk all the way over to the sideline where I was, I was standing, you know, and chewing my ass on the down, you know, um, you know, they were pretty serious about this stuff. So, um, and then what happened was uh, that game, our catcher got kicked in the groin and he got, you know, basically put out for the season. And so we lost the catcher. The next day at practice, my coach said, Hey, I want you to play, you know, I want you to be a catcher. Right. And I thought, Jesus Christ, you know, I played, well, I thought I was playing third base, but you know, I could have screwed that up any worse than what I did. Right. And, uh, made a lot of mistakes. I was just a terrible baseball player and now he wants me to play catcher right so um and we're going to play the same team the next day there's a big deal over there at the time and uh so i had about 30 minutes to practice before it got too dark you know and everybody's giving me all kinds of input on you know how to catch the ball and you know what to expect blah 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 man it was just way it was century overload and uh you know and i'm just kind of like learning what i can in 30 minutes and then i got dark i went home and uh I was really nervous about playing the 
that role the next day. I thought, man, how can, there's no way I can play catcher, man. I was so out of my element, you know. Um, I was comfortable in left field because not a whole lot happened out there. <laughs> but, uh, and now, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. So I went home and, and I just, I was so unnerved by this that I laid down and went to my bed. I put my headset on and I started listening to my music. Um, I still remember the song uh, Disco Daz by Barquets. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite songs. And, uh, and I started listening to the music. And as I was listening to it, I started visualizing, you know, I saw myself playing, um, you know, the, playing the role of the catcher, right? And I, I, could, I could sense everything. I could feel that baseball. I could feel the ball hitting my glove. I could feel myself catching it. I could see myself, feel myself throwing it. Um, I would just, it was almost like I was really there. And I just kept visualizing it. And I saw myself you know, stopping every ball, even if it meant stopping it with my chest or my face, but not letting it go behind me. Um, you know, I saw myself making double plays, triple plays. I was a one-man baseball team. I just saw this over and over in my head, you know, and uh, I, was, I was like living it in my mind and uh, thought about every possibility, every contingency that could happen, and then coming up with a solution for it. Well, then, um, uh, then finally I fell asleep. I don't know how many hours later it was, but it was late. You know, I stayed up for several hours just laying there meditating, thinking about this. And that's actually what it was. I was, um, I was essentially, um, it was a form of almost self-hypnosis, right? And so passive concentration. So next morning I got up really early. Um, had to be out of the field. I think it was like 8 o'clock. I'm, I'm, I'm walking to the baseball uh, field. It was kind of a cool, sunny morning. Um, but I had this real cool, very, you know, sense of calm about me um the whole way i was not nervous like i was the night before um it was almost like i was indifferent didn't care one way or another i was just calm and i got to the baseball field and my coach said hey um you know jock up get all you get on and practice catching some you know pitches from the pitcher um and start getting ready start warming up so i did just you know a very very you know, just, un, you know, unfazed by it all, man. Yeah. Just, okay, sir, please play. Yeah. You know, put it on and got out there. I started catching the ball. And then the parents saw me, right? They saw me playing catcher. And they all come out there and, you know, in, in mass, you know, and they're chewing out my coach. Hey, what is he doing, man? You know, come on, coach. What? You know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, and I, that was, he was probably the first time that um, probably one of the best examples early, of my, early in my life of leadership. And uh, I still remember he um, – he looked at all of me, goes, listen, I'm the coach here. He goes, this is my baseball team. I decide who plays, when they play, how they play, where they play. And you guys are the parents. Your job is to sit in that bleacher and cheer on the kids. That's it. If you want to do my job, you're more than welcome to do it. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, you'll sit, sit, the, you know, sit down. Yeah. And so they, they, they marched off, and I was like, wow. You know, he put them in their place, right? When he was slightly intimidated by them. And so it kind of gave me, again, a sense of confidence that, mm. wow, you know, I got his support at least. Maybe he saw something in me that I didn't see in me, right? Very possible. But why would he put me in this position when there were far better baseball players on the team? Anybody could have played that position other than me, right? Mm. I mean, I could have took the right field, right fielder's place. He could have played catcher, right? I'm sure he was better than me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the game goes on. Um, it starts, and uh, make a really long story short, at the end of the game, um, I was awarded the game ball as the most valuable player. I literally, everything I had visualized that night happened. I was making double plays, triple plays. I stopped every baseball from going behind me. I was a one-man baseball team. And uh, when it was all over, I, that's, from there on, I played catcher um, for the rest, of, you know, the rest of the years. And so <clears throat> I thought, wow. You know, and the lesson I learned was, man, if I really focus, you know, um, you know I literally went from zero to hero overnight. Mm -hmm. And so – Later on in life, I learned the lesson again. Um, so I went through the unit. I made it through the unit. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I was the youngest guy at the time to make it there at the age of 23. I was in the uh, operator training course. And the first couple months of the OT of OCC is very uh, marksmanship intensive. In fact, the first two weeks, I remember we just every day were inside of a building in, the, in our bay. And uh, from, you know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning till easily 6, 7 p.m. at night and just dry firing for two weeks <clears throat> with the 45, you know, just not even firing a shot, just coming out and pointing at pasties on the wall, going through, uh, you know, all the fundamentals of marksmanship, you know, combat marksmanship, reloads, tactical reloads, combat reloads, admin reloads, malfunction drills, four-stroke draws, you know, just over and over and over, right, ad nauseum. Um, but it was like martial arts, you know, when you practice karate, you do forms and katas, right? And it's very slow, it's very deliberate. And why do you do that? You're doing that to build what they call muscle memory, but it's actually not muscle memory, which I'll explain here in a minute. Um, 
but you build, you build good mechanics, right? So this is, you know, the old adage in marksmanship training, smooth is fast, you know, you can't miss fast enough. So go slow, you know, yeah, you're building, you're building those proper mechanics, right? <clears throat> Which I'll talk about here in a minute. Um, so about a week into the, uh, to the training, um, every after every day after the training, we had an after action review, right? We go into the classroom and basically, you know, the, you know, the instructors would pull out the camera, the one I judge, you know, and they show everybody how fucked up you were, um, you know, and point out the good and the bad, you know, and basically it was a critique. And, uh, and there was one guy, one instructor named Maxim, Craig Maxim. Uh, we call, I call him Mad Max. He was a little, you know, a little short guy with a big red bushy mustache, battle attitude, Vietnam vet, you know, real hardcore dude, man, um, but good people. And so he was uh, the primary instructor. And I remember one day, and this has never happened before in the whole week that, you know, we're there doing this, but to, on this particular evening, he said, Comstock, stand up. So I like, fuck it. So I stand up, you know, I'm not sure why I'm standing up, what's going on here. And then he just started to, you know, basically dress me down in front of everybody. He was like, you know what? He goes, you are fucked up like soup sandwich. If you don't get your shit together, um, you'll be doing the duffel bag drag out the front gate in no time, you know? And he just, He's just tearing me a new ass. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? I had no idea that, you know, I was behind the class in any way. You know, I thought I was at least on par. And because uh, I really didn't get, you know, any more ass to than anybody else. You know, in fact, I didn't feel like I got a whole lot of any. And uh, so, um, you know, he's, he's dressed me down. And I, I thought, oh, my God, I'm in jeopardy of getting kicked out of the course, man. You know, I came all this way just to bolo this in the first yeah. week. So I went home and as I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I got to do something. I got to do it now. And I don't know how I'm going to fix this, but I got to do it now. And I remember when I did playing baseball and I said, let me try that again. So I remember went home, my wife was cooking dinner and I just said, look, I'm not eating. I'm going to bed. I got some training to do. And I said, don't ask. And I went to bed and I did the same thing. Put my music in, um, something kind of soft, you know? Um, and I just started listening. I mean, as I listened to the music, I just started visualizing on seeing myself, going through all the drills, man, the four stroke draw, magazine reloads, you know, combat, I mean, everything, right? And so, but I could feel the gun, I could feel, you know, the, uh, you know, the stippling on the, gr on the gun, I could feel the weight of the gun, I could feel the steel, I could feel the, the light oil on it, I could feel the trigger press, I can still today see the sights, because I actually had two 45s, and they were both set up just a little bit differently. Um, the sights were different, uh, front sights and the rear sights. And I can still tell the difference between either one of those guns. I, I, I know them almost like they were my hands. And, uh, and I could see that front sight over and over. I could feel the mechanics. I, could, I mean, I just felt smooth over and over. I just could see it and feel it, you know. And I saw myself doing it perfectly every time. And, uh, and so I fell asleep. And then that morning I went to work. And I was pretty calm again, right. And so I'm out there training all day. And nothing's happening. Um, nobody's yelling at me. You know, nobody's encouraging me. At least if they were yelling at me, that's a good sign because I think I still have potential, right? But yeah. that wouldn't happen either, right? Yeah. Nothing's going on. Um, day two, same thing, crickets. Day three, crickets. And I'm like, God, man, is this it? I mean, which, where, where's, where am I at here, you know? No, nobody's telling me one way. Or, nobody's giving me an attaboy or nobody's calling me names. You know, I'm just kind of here. Yeah. And at the end of the third day, um, we had another AAR, we're in the classroom, and this is the second time this has happened. The whole time I've been there, Comstock, stand up. I'm like, oh no, and I'm thinking the worst, right? My head's hanging low, and I'm thinking this is, this is the swan song. This is where I get the ax, right? And I stand up, and I'm kind of deflated, and I'm expecting the worst. In fact, uh, he, told, uh, he told everybody in class, I want everybody to look at this man right here. Everybody take a look at Comstock. And I thought, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, that's right, motherfuckers. Look at me. Yeah, I'm the fuck up. I'm out of here, right? So I'm, I, you know, and uh, I was like, yeah, go ahead and rub it in. That's what I'm thinking to myself. I was like, this, yeah. is, this is bad, you know? Yeah. Who, who does that kind of shit, right? Yeah. Just tell me to pack my shit and leave, and I'll leave. I'll quietly get out of here, right? But you're going to humiliate me too, is what I'm thinking, right? And so, um, so then he, and then as he, he tells everybody, look, look at me, you know, they're all look at me. I'm looking at them, you know, we're kind of real goofy. And, and then uh, he goes, I'm going to tell you guys right now, this is the most fundamentally sound student in the class. And I predict he'll be top gun. And I, whoa, whoa, what? Right. And, uh, and I didn't see that, see that yeah. coming, right? Like, Holy shit. Yeah. And I, 
thank me praises, man. Fuck yeah. Wow, I went from zero to hero, you know, like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Again. And uh sure enough, at the end, you know, I I, I took the top gun uh the top gun position. Um and so, you know, and so it was another lesson learned. And I thought, okay, you know, this is Right, there's something to this, right? And that's when I started really delving into it and started studying and found out that it's a thing. Um, it's a thing that's been used by the East German, you know, the Olympic teams in Russia. You know, they train their guys on this stuff. And uh, it is a thing. In fact, it's a thing for a long time. It's just that um, most people, right, um, you know, if it's not science, it yeah. can't be real, right? And But they don't understand the science behind it because there is a science behind it, okay? Mm. Um, and so, you know, and it really, you know, sadly, most people are very closed-minded. They're being inculcated into a mind, certain kind of mindset. The only way you can be um, successful is hard work. Mm. And I'm here to tell you, you can work hard or you can work smart, right? And, mm. uh, and there's a faster way to work and be more efficient. Um, I mean, all you got to do is look at my bios and my resume and people ask me all the time, cops like, how did you do all that shit? Well, you know what? I didn't do it because I worked so hard because you know what? I did a whole lot of things at the same time and uh, I enjoyed my life. You know, I had a lot of fun. I raised, you know, I got a bunch of kids. Um, and so because I worked smarter, but I also had a way of thinking, right. And I let my subconscious help create my reality. Okay. And I know that's like, like, oh, come on, you know, yeah, well, you know what? If you're not into that, get just get up the hell off the yeah, chair yeah. right now. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because you're not gonna learn nothing as long as you got a closed mind. You'll always be in the same place that you're at, or you'll you'll barely just move forward in life. You know, but you want to be successful, you might want to hear me out. Hmm. Um, so, um, so I started studying. I started learning a lot about it. Realized it's a thing called autogenic conditioning. Um, Emil Koo was basically the father of this uh, philosophy, and. Uh, he said that anytime willpower and imagination are in conflict, imagination always wins. Mm. Anytime imagination and willpower in conflict, imagination always wins. So what he's saying is, that I don't. It doesn't matter how bad you want to do something. Okay, you can work your ass off. If you don't, if you can't imagine the end state, you can't imagine success. You cannot see yourself down the road. You, you'll never self-actualize, mm. right? You have to believe it, feel it, see it, touch it, and see the end state, right, um, in your heart. So it's like a dream, but it, it's more than just a dream, right? It's turn that dream into reality. So um, does that mean that all you gotta do is, you know, have positive thoughts and see yourself being successful and do nothing? No. Um, so what you have to do is invoke, you know, um, you know, one of the 12 universal laws, which is the law of action, means you have to do something to, to that end, right? So you have to do something to help create that reality. And, uh, and so backing up to, uh, you know, so I'm getting a little off track right now, but going back to the, the concept or the idea of autogenic conditioning, what is it? What does it do? Okay, what's happening? Why, how can I just, you know, concentrate on something really hard and all of a sudden I'm successful, right? Um, well, there's, um, there's a thing called frequency, like real frequency, like radio frequency, energy, right? Um, when you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, you've got VHF, UHF, X-rays, you've got visible light, UV. So you've got a lot of different frequencies and lights of frequency on, you know, on this electromagnetic spectrum. So even Albert Einstein said it, you know, basically success is frequency. Um, if you want to be successful, you have to get on the success frequency. Yeah. Um, Tesla, there's many people out there that, that will say the same thing. Success is not, is not about willpower. Success is about physics. Hmm. Success is based on physics. Okay. Hmm. Um, period. Albert Einstein, that's one of his greatest quotes. Okay. It's about fit. He says it's physics. Simply it's yeah. physics. And so what does that mean? It means this. Everything in the world is energy, everything. Uh, we, we create our own energy from within, which allows us to think, which allows me to talk, which allows me to move my hands and my feet. Um, you know, I have to create energy from within to do all these things, right? Um, interestingly enough is, you know, how powerful is our mind, okay? We don't, it's not like we got a gen electrical generator up there cranking out, you know, a bunch of, you know, amps and volts, right, to make things work. It's a small amount of electricity very small amount right and it works on a, on a on the biological level right with you know sodium and things like that um and your nervous system 
Um, but fathom this, man, that, that little, that little, little white matter, little gray matter in your, in your melon there, right? Um, besides controlling your arms and your legs and everything else you do, right? Imagine driving a 4,000 pound car. This yeah. little brain is manipulating the steering wheel, the brakes, the gas, yeah. and controlling 4,000 pounds of hurling metal down the road yeah. under control, right? And when you drive a car, you don't even think about it anymore, right? Yeah. If you're an experienced driver, you yeah. don't even, does it. This car has become an extension sure. of your brain and your body, just like your hands and your legs, yeah. right? Um, that's how powerful the brain is. That little bit of tiny energy that's being created in your brain that's manipulating everything else is being transferred all the way into a 4,000-pound vehicle, okay? Yeah. Or, or more. Or a 747, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. um, so, <clears throat> um, so you have to think about that. That's, you know, that's, that's pretty powerful when you think about something mm -hmm. like that. So what's happening is, uh, <clears throat> you know, through this, this pattern of thought, um, I am actually stimulating my nervous system. My nervous system, I'm innervating it and through a process called myelination, okay, which is thickening the, uh, the, the nervous systems, yeah. the dendrites and all those types of things. I'm allowing this energy to flow faster and more efficiently, you know, to, for example, the muscles that I'm going to recruit for whatever action, my specified yeah. action. And I have to coordinate those muscles so that they work in a certain sequence so that, you know, I can raise my arm a certain way, extend it out, right? Yeah. That takes a certain kind of coordination. So I got to control a lot of muscles sequentially to, to create that uh, maneuver, right? Mm. <clears throat> um, now, think about this. All right, when you first learn how to ride a bicycle, right? Nobody gets on the bicycle first time and just takes off and rides it naturally. There's no such thing, right? You got to do a lot of things. You got to pedal it. You got to brake. You got to keep your balance. You got to steer it, right? There's a lot of things that are going on. You got to, you know, your inner ears are trying to keep your balance. Um, you're trying to coordinate a whole lot of muscle groups you know, to, to work, um, you know, in concert to keep you upright and keep you moving forward. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take long before you know it, you're hauling ass on a bicycle, you're steering, sometimes you're riding without your hands, you're chewing bubble gum, you're talking to your buddy next to you on, on yeah. his bike. Yeah. You know, you're not even paying attention to riding a bike no more. You're yeah. just doing it, right? And you'll never, you, have you ever known anybody to forget how to ride a bike? Or exactly. how to get out of swim? It doesn't happen. Yeah. Once, it's, once it's there, it's there, right? That, that innovation is there. And it's not going to be reversed. Hmm. Um, so that same concept, that same process applies to anything cognitive that, you know, for example, if I want to, uh, if I want to pass a final exam this Friday, right? Um, I see myself, I think about it, think about myself passing that test, answering all the questions easily. It just popped right in my mind. Got it, got it, got it. Boom, boom, boom. And I see myself at the end getting, you know, a passing score, an A or whatever I see. Um, so it works in that regard as well. It also works in the sense that, uh, you know, if I'm sitting here and I'm looking, I go, man, I really, 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 you know, I want to be, I don't know, you know, I want to be a millionaire, you know, and I want to have, you know, this kind of a lifestyle and this is what I want to do. I want to if grow I, if, my podcast. Yeah. So if I see it, and I mean, actually see it in my mind's eye, right? I can imagine it. I can just, I can just feel it, man. Like, man, what would it be like to be standing there with, you know, wads of money in my pocket, leaning up against a Ferrari, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and living this life, right. You know, this dream. Um, if you can, if you can imagine it and experience it in the here and now feel it right. Um, then it will, then what happens is the subconscious starts working to that end. Okay. Using the same, the same process of, of, uh, of myelination or spinal tuning is called sometimes. So, um, and there's more to this, right? I mean, because the, con the conscious and the subconscious are working. Um, the subconscious, I mean, the conscious is aware of all the sensory input. It's aware of everything around you. Um, it's the one that's saying, Comstock, you know, you're an idiot. You can't make a million dollars, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the subconscious is a little guy in a dark room in the back with no windows sitting behind a computer and he's getting input. And Damn, yeah. this guy wants to be a millionaire. How do I, you know, how do I chart a course to get us there? You know, and he's and he starts working it. Um, but nothing happens unless con the conscious takes over and goes, okay, we have invoked the law of action. Okay. Mm. Um, so let me give you an example of how that works. Uh, years ago, a long time ago, right before I got out of the army, I was a master sergeant, not making a whole lot of money, like 32, 34,000 a year. I had a wife, three kids. Um, Still got the three kids, don't have the wife. <laughs> but uh, I decided to take my family up to Washington, D.C. and for a weekend. And what I wanted to do is take up, surprise them and take them to the Kennedy Center, right? Yeah. Go watch a play. I thought that'd be really cool. And uh, 
so we get up there, we check in, and then that night, um, it was a Saturday night, we go to the Kennedy Center, go to the box office, and I said, okay, I want five tickets for this show. And I remember she quoted me some ridiculous price, like 700 bucks. You know, I'm like, whoa, you know, and there's no way I could afford that, right? And uh, I looked around at my kids and my wife, I go, you know, sorry, you know, I didn't know exactly much money, I can't afford it, you know? I said, so, I said, we could go, you know, if you guys want to like push the van back to North Carolina tomorrow and eat hot dogs, we could probably work it out, but yeah. I said, otherwise yeah. we don't, it'll take all our money, right? And they were pretty good about it. They're like, yeah, dad, come on, let's go bowling, eat some hot dogs, you know? Yeah. And they would go to that, so we did, yeah. but I beat myself up pretty bad over that. Um, even in the car, I was just like, you freaking idiot, right? And so what happened was uh, right there in that car, I still remember thinking, you know what, this will never happen again. Um, it's never going to happen again. So what I told myself is I make $250,000 a year. Now I just told you I make $34,000 a year, right? Now I'm telling myself I make $250,000 a year. I thought that was a reasonable number within the year, right? Of course, that's not true. And that's what the conscience is telling me. Comps like you're lying to yourself. You make $250,000 a year, you know, be yeah. honest with yourself, <clears throat> but it doesn't matter. It's not about being honest with myself. It's saying it in the here and now I make $250,000, not, that I'm going to make 250, I make $250,000, right? Hmm. And so when I start doing this, I've created my reality. The subconscious is back to going, hey, he thinks he makes $250,000. We gotta do something here, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's processes that start taking over. Um, and then the law of action is also invoked, right? So I've gotta do something um, to help that, facilitate that. So I remember it wasn't, you know, I told myself every day I make $250,000 for those posty notes on my mirror. Um, I saw myself making $250,000, saw myself successful. And, um, and then I went back, got my master's degree, didn't know what I was going to do when I got out of the army. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll start a security business. This was, this was pre-9-11. Sure. And then one thing led to another. And within a year, I finished my master's degree, had already started a company. And then, um, boom, you know. 9-11 happened, and right after that, I was off to the races, and I was making $250,000 just like that, right? And uh, and so, so much so that I sold my company to G4S in 2004, okay? Um, they bought my company up. So um, then I went on and incorporated again, created another company, another business. Um, so, you know, why did that happen? Um, it happened because I had a certain imagination. I imagined that I make $250,000 a year, I felt that I tasted, I could just see what, you know, I could hold that money. Um, and I wanted that badly. And, uh, and it became reality. And I can go on all day long with these stories of my life. So when people ask the cops, like, how did you do all this stuff? Well, there you go. Yeah. I, I think about it in the here and now. I, I actually feel it. I sense it because I want it bad enough. And that's the thing. If you don't want it, okay, yeah. just then it's not going to happen. you got to want it, right? you, you got to be passionate about it. And if you're passionate about it, um, you can create that reality. And so that's kind of how it works, right? There's a lot more to it, uh, a whole lot more to it. Um, and a lot of other areas that I go into. So when I'm teaching this stuff um, in the metaphysical world, um, you know, I go into, you know, a lot of this stuff that's, uh, you know, tied into, uh, you know, Ayurvedic medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, um, you know, and, and other things that are kind of, for some people, like they might rule their eyes, mm. you know, some weird stuff, but uh, actually it's, there's something to all of this. And uh, I go into meditation, um, how to meditate, how to meditate quickly. In fact, we were taught how to meditate in Delta. Um, really? You know, yeah. So, That's you know, the, the prepare us for actions, right? Whatever it was going to be. And uh, so, you know, our, we, and we had, you know, three psychologists that were there. That was their job, man, and uh, to keep us trained and, and keep us, you know, functioning. And so, um, yeah, there is a place for this stuff, even in the military, because I was taught yeah. and trained how to do this, right? So, again, you know, anybody that's a naysayer out there, you know, um, you know, that, you know oh, that's yeah. your choice. And you'll, you'll never be successful. Or you might be successful, but you're going to go down the long, hard road, and you'll never be as successful as you could be if you mm -hmm. just open your mind. You know, again, like I said, this is stuff that is, you know, um, espoused by, you know, great minds like Albert Einstein. Yeah. I mean, he says it all the time. You know, he says, um, this is not philosophy. This is physics. Yeah. The best knowledge is experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can go on all day long. Right. And, uh, and, and so <laughs> I got, I got kids back there screaming. Yeah, you're, fine. you're fine. Um, so, um, but anyways, he, you know, you know, exactly. You know, it's physics. It's all physics. It all comes down to um, energy and frequency, right? And everything we do. And, and how is that so, right? So 
you know, for example, you know, the wooden table I'm sitting at right now, you know, at the molecular level at the, you know, it's, it's got energy. Okay. Those molecules have energy, right? They're moving. They're always moving. Brown you know, ocean, yeah. Everything's moving, right? It's always moving. Everything's interconnected in the universe, everything. Um, so, you know, the, the mind is a very powerful, um, a, a very powerful, you know, organ. And uh, I, I kind of think of it as like a radio, you know, transmitter receiver. And I think we've talked about this before, you know. Um, so, for example, I'm right now. I'm, you know, conjuring up thoughts of what I want to say to you. Using energy in my brain, it's basically, you know, I'm now recruiting, activating my voice box. You know, all the nerves and muscles I need to what vibrate the air, uh, yeah, yeah. vibrate the molecules in the air, right? Frequencies or wavelengths, just like a radio. Yeah, just like a radio, right? It's yeah. like a radio antenna. That's how they work, right? Yeah. And uh, basically, I'm propagating this uh, the signal, which is yeah. information. You're receiving it with what? Your parabolics? Yeah. You're taking it in, you're analyzing it, you're converting it, and basically you're reading what I'm saying, okay? Yeah. And, uh, and that's how radios work. That's how we work. And guess what? Radios work not through magic. Yeah. It works what? Off of energy. You have to use, you have to have Physics. a power yeah. source to run the battery, right? To do what? To send signals and vibration through the air, right? To be received by another radio to interpret it and analyze it and convert that in, uh, information, hmm. right? The frequency to information. We're no different than that. Um, no different than that. We, we, we emit energy all the time. We have what's called an ether, which is about six feet around us. It's kind of like an E field, an uh, electronic field. And, uh, you know, we emit, emit energy, some more, some less. If you're sick, um, sometimes less or different spots. You know, the we talk about chakras in the Ayurvedic medicine, right? Um, they're, different, they're different energy points in our body down the center line. And, uh, you know, we want them all to be harmony and congruent. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if one is off, you know, everything is off. So, mm -hmm. you know, we focus on that one chakra and try to bring it back to, you know, back to health. But, uh, you know, even they have, they've known that, you know, um, you know, the American Indians, you know, I mean, they're very spiritual and uh, as well, you know, they, they speak a lot about the spirit and, uh, you know, and, and nature and things like that. But actually, if you really listen to what they're talking about and what they're saying, it's energy. It's coming back to energy. Um, what is spirit? Spirit is nothing more than, again, it's frequency. Okay. They just call it something different because mm. they can't see it. Yeah. Okay. And they can't feel it, but it, they know it's, they're aware that it's there. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about our sixth sense, right? Everybody, oh, everybody's got six senses, you know, that, um, well, think about that for a minute. What, what could that sixth sense be? What, if you can't see it and feel it, you know, you can't put your finger on it. what is that sixth sense? Well, we know it's there. Right. How many times have you been standing around and somebody walks up behind you yeah. within a few feet of you and you go, Oh, Feel how it. did I know you were there? Right. Yeah. And, or, or you're sitting there in the car, you're, you're thinking, and, and all of a sudden your wife says something, says what you're thinking. Yeah. Like that. I, know, I was just thinking about that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because you're sitting close to each other. You actually, your ethers are uh, interconnected, your energy, you know, and, and eventually she gets on your frequency. Yeah. Um, look, you know, even women, man, they know when you come home, if you've been out doing something you should have been doing, they're like, what did you do? <laughs> they just know, man. They yeah, sense they know. They have it's been the they know. I don't even have to be near my wife. My wife's, you know, 10,000 miles away right now. And she goes like, what did you do? I can, so you know, right I can, now. something might right, right? <laughs> and, uh, and we know it. We can sense it too, right? Um, them. And so, you know, there is an interconnection. So here's another story. Um, I'll give it, well, there's a couple stories. But so this particular story, so let's tie this into oxygen conditioning again, right? So, you know, in my military career, I spent a lot of time flying around in helicopters, right? And my biggest fear was black arc helicopters because when they crash, you know, it, the crashes are bad. And um, it's always been my experience. You know, you know, magnesium alloy, you know, it breaks up really fast and bad and burns and, you know, just not a good, not a good sight. And um, so I remember one day flying in a, in a Black Hawk, you know, we didn't have any seats in it and uh, we're cruising along. And I remember thinking to myself, what would I do if this helicopter crashes, right? But I had nothing else to think about. And so, and I thought, well, you know, there ain't much you can do. You're in a helicopter and it crashes, yeah. you're going, you kind of go with it, right? It's not like you yeah. just step off on the elevator, go down the stairs. Yeah. And so, um, I thought, well, man, there's got to be something I can do to, you know, at least enhance my survivability. So, you know, suppose I crash and I survive the crash, last thing I want to do is dying the wreckage because my weapon or my load bearing equipment got snagged up on something I couldn't get out, right? And so I thought, okay, well, what would I do? Well, I'll get rid of my, my, my boonie cap or my helmet or whatever I'm wearing, get my weapon unslung, get it off of me, get my load bearing equipment off and get as slick as I can, right, right away. And then I'm gonna take a knee, grab the red cargo wings on the, on the rooftop and basically brace my, myself. I said, you know, 
that's about as good as it's going to get. And so I remember rehearsing that in my mind, and that was it. Okay, just that one time I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. Um, and then every now and then when I got on a helicopter, it, you know, those thoughts kind of came back. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, this, and that, and that. Okay. You know, it wasn't like a real rehearsal or nothing. I just thought about it. And what I had is a boilerplate response to a possible um, scenario, right? So years and years later, in fact, in 1990 on Mother's Day, um, Panama, Darien Jungle, we were down there doing jungle training. Long story short, we we got called to go do an operation, right? We were out already doing survival jungle training, and this was kind of a, uh, a frag order, right, over the radio. Hey, get on the HLC. You guys load up. You're going to fly, you know, five miles south. There's a gold mine there. We think there are holdovers from uh, the invasion, Panamanian defense forces and, and uh, militia, right, hold up there. And so we want you to fly down there, get off the helicopters, and, you know, and exchange gifts, right? Okay. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So, like, all right, here we go, right? So, we, the helicopters came in, and um, the first two came in. My team got on the first helicopter. We had 15 packs on there, four crew, and then uh, two teams on there. And, um, anyways, helicopter takes off. We're flying. We're at 206 feet. And then the number one engine on the left side just disintegrates, right? goes out. And you could tell right away what was going to happen, what was happening, because you could feel it losing lift like, a hel like an elevator. Um, you know, and anytime there's any turbulence in a helicopter when you're flying or any kind of weird bumps, the first thing you do is you look at the crew chiefs, right? If the crew chiefs are just kind of like hanging on the guns, look out the window, you you know you're good. Yeah. Um, um, if you're doing anything but that, then you know you're not good. So when that happened, I looked at the crew chiefs, and sure enough, man, they're levitating out of their seats by six inches, looking at his eyes are all big, and they're saying, get down, get down, hang on, right? And, yeah. and then all the, ball, the alarms and bells and whistles went off in the cockpit, and uh, we knew we were in trouble, right? And about that time, we hit a tree, snapped the rotor blades off down to the hubs, um, and it's, and then the bird flipped sideways. And I remember hanging on that cargo ring, hanging out the bird, looking straight down at the ground, dangling from this cargo ring. Thinking, holy shit, you know? And, uh, and then it right itself, you know, belly down again. And then, you know, time slowed down, but I know it happened really fast. And I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, when is this thing going to crack? When is it going to hit? Right. And then what it did, it was so fast and so hard that, uh, I almost don't even remember it hitting. I just remember waking up on my back and, uh, as I'm laying there, I'm facing towards the back of the helicopter, and my head's facing towards the front and uh, on the inside. And it was really quiet, except for the burning. I could hear the engines burning. And, uh, and there was nobody in the helicopter, or so I thought. What I didn't know is a couple of guys got launched up towards the front of the helicopter into the cockpit, um, and you know, were unconscious. The pilots were unconscious. The two crew chiefs got squirted out over the top of their guns. Uh, everybody else that was in the back of the helicopter got squirted out. And uh, so as I'm laying there, I'm thinking, Jesus, you know, I'm alone and this thing's on fire. And so luckily I had taken everything off. Mm. And, and I remember about that time it hit me. It's like, Jesus, my back is killing me. And uh, so I had an L2, L3 compression fracture. Um, and it just felt like, the only way I could describe it to people is imagine King Kong grabbing you and it just kind of ringing you like that, oh. right? And that's kind of what it felt like, man. I was just like so much pain. And, uh, but there was another part of me that said, man, this thing's on fire. And, it, yeah. and we, I'm looking at a huge ox tank in the back. It was strapped in the back of the helicopter, right? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's all I need is for that thing to catch yeah. on fire with yeah. me here, right? And uh, so I rolled over my belly and started crawling out. And I, you know, I finally made it out the, the helicopter, landed on the ground, crawled a few more feet, rolled over on a log. And uh, I remember laying on my back, looking to my right. I saw one of the crew chiefs there. He was unconscious. His lips were ripped off over his face. I thought he was actually dead. Um, and then I looked to my left and one of my teammates who was a medic was laying next to me. And I, I still remember though, we all carried PRC 122 survival radios in our, in our survival packs. And he had the foresight, uh, or at least, the, you know, you know, the, he remembered to, to pull it out and he turned it on, uh, the beacon mode. So they have different beacon settings under A and B at the time. And that's to basically the beacon goes out and it just, it's a, you know, it's alarmed to any aircraft in the area. Said, "Hey, there's, you know, there's to hone in on this. There's been a crash, right?" So he he's got the beacon going off, and I, I look at him. I remember just thinking, "Man, he's a medic. I'm in so much pain. Surely he can help me." I mean, I wasn't even thinking straight no more, right? And uh, like Tom, Tom, my back. I think my back's broken. You need to help me, man. Help me, brother. And I still remember, man. It was like um, it actually was a movie, Major Pain, when he was telling a story about the little engine they could, and. Uh, and the guy got his legs blown off, you know, and he's, and he's crawling. And I remember Tom looked over and he goes, Bubba, 
there's nothing I can do for you, Bubba. My leg is broken. You know, he's bleeding out of his mouth and stuff, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they don't like it. Okay, whatever. And uh, so anyways, there's, the story goes on quite a bit. Um, actually, I'll finish the story. It's kind of funny. Yeah. So then a little while later, the other helicopters went back to HLC. They got out the, the um, um, machetes that came in, cut the weight into the jungle. They found us, started triaging us. They had brought spine boards and stuff like that. And, and uh, started dressing everybody up to haul them out. And uh, <clears throat> I was actually the last one to go out. And actually, they, they actually literally forgot me, right? So I'm laying there, and I'm already on morphine, so I'm on Queer Street. And, uh, and I could see them hauling guys off, hauling guys off, hauling guys off. And then I looked around, I was like, there's nobody else around, right? And I'm like, where the hell is there? And I looked in the jungle about 50 meters down. I see the last guy going into the jungle. And I realized they forgot, they forgot me. They really did forget me, right? And so I yelled out, hey, hey. And I heard somebody say, oh, shit. Hey, we left Comstock. They come running back, right? And I'm like, son of a bitches, man. And then uh, they picked me up, took me out, got on the, on the helicopter, ended up in Gorgas Army Hospital down in Panama. And uh, it was Mother's Day, so there was, you know, a skeleton crew there, doctors and nurses. It was really quiet and very empty. And uh, suddenly had a mass casualty event. It had a lot of guys in there just, you know, pretty, pretty bad off from the crash. And um, so I was on a gurney. They already stripped my clothes off. They had me on a gurney and covered me in a sheet. And I'm laying out in the hallway. And uh, I remember a good friend of mine. I'll, I won't mention his name here, but uh, he, was in the unit. he was an operator. Good friend. Very funny guy. Very jolly. Just a good-hearted guy, man. And older than me. And uh, we used to ride to work together every morning, too. And so he's standing out there with me. And even though I'm on morphine, I can feel, I can feel something gnawing on my groin, right, on my balls. And there's something itching bad down there, right? And I'm like, what the hell, right? But I can't move, right? I got broken back. I can't even get up, right? I'm on morphine. I'm still kind of goofy. And uh, so I looked at Tom. Uh, um, we'll call him. Uh, yeah, his name was Tom. We'll just call him Tom. Well, I'm I said, Tom. I said, I said, I said, yeah, everybody's Tom, right? I said, Tom. I said, dude, I said, something down there is itching really bad, man. Something's chewing me up down there. He's like, huh? I go, you know, really, man. I said, take a look and tell me what it is, right? And he starts giggling and shit. He's like, dude, come on, man. I go, no, seriously, dude. And he's looking up and down the hall. No, oh, come on, man. I said, come on, you got to do it, dirt. So he's like, okay, hold on. He looks around. He lifts up the sheet. And holy shit, man. He looks at me. I go, what, what, what? He goes, dude, he goes, you're covered in ticks, oh, right? Geez. I mean, apparently while I was laying in the jungle, all these ticks decided to, you know, come to the diner oh my right God. The legs, right? so and uh oh so i'm like God. dude man you got to get them off me man you know i'm starting to panic now because you know and a little blood suckers down there's a bunch of them <clears throat> and so um he um he um he's like dude i can't do that man because i can't do that it's embarrassing i can't do that right and i'm like look man i go you got to help me tom i said you gotta get these off brother and uh, come on, man, come on. And, and so we're going back and forth. He's just laughing. He's like, no, man, no. And finally, I convinced him to do it, right? He's like, okay, dude, but you better not ever tell anybody. Do you hear me? I said, ah, I'll never tell nobody, man. Don't worry about it. You know, just get him off me. And so the funny thing was he, he goes under the sheet and he puts the sheet over his head. So he's under the sheet and he's pulling the ticks off, right? And, uh, and finally, he gets done. And I'm like, damn, dude, you're freaking, man, you, you're your brother, man. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah. You know? I owe you my me, life. Bro. And uh, I told him, I said, you better tell nobody. You better tell nobody. I said, never tell nobody, right? So I put yeah. it in my book. Yeah, but it's in the book <laughs> and it's on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, actually, I remember yeah, reading I that. I was like, yeah, I was reading. I was like, why am I reading? I'll never tell anyone. And I'm like, as I'm sitting down in the toilet reading American Badass. And I'm like, hey, man. So that happened. Uh, that happened. And so the, the true brother walk away message for that was, you know, I did exactly what I had um yeah thought about doing before it just happened i didn't have to think about it i just did automatically automatically when this thing started to go down i mean literally hat went off helmet came off i mean helmet uh booty cap came off weapon came off load bearing equipment came off took a knee grabbed the car going did automatically didn't even think about it didn't think anything about it just did it like oh i'm in this position right and so you could argue well you know the question is did it help you or did it hurt you now that's a good question i don't know if it helped me or hurt me maybe it hurt me Maybe it helped me. I know one thing. I didn't fall out of the damn helicopter when I was yeah. moving out the ground, right? So yeah. in that sense, it probably helped me because I'm hanging on yeah. the cargo rings. Um, but uh, one of the things it did do is give me something to think about on the way down rather than dying, right? Yeah. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually fighting to save my life. Yeah. And I'm not thinking about, you know, my God, I'm going to die. So moving on. <clears throat> um, so how this autogenic conditioning and how powerful this idea of frequency is, 
So what happened was I ended up, you know, San Antonio, um, you know, the hospital there. I ended up in a body cast. Finally got back to Bragg. Uh, I was on convalescent leave, so I decided to go home to California. Um, and I met my, you know, I went and saw my mom and dad. So it turns out um, my mom, who was in perfect health, and is still in perfect health to this day, doesn't go to doctor for anything, has no health issues, nothing, zero, zippo, man. I mean, I mean, she's like a billy goat, man. I mean, she's just hardcore. And uh, she told me that on that particular day, she showed me the medical reports on that same, on that same day at the same exact time, all right, Pacific Standard Time versus, you know, what we were in uh, Central Standard Time, Panama yeah. City, uh, Panama, um, the exact same time, exactly. She was walk, she was at work. She worked at Montgomery Ward in the furniture department. She was walking down the aisle, um, you know, looking at you know, whatever, and then just got lightheaded and just fainted, passed out on the floor. Oh, right. Wow. So they came and picked her up, put her in an ambulance, took her to the hospital, they checked her out, and go, man, there's absolutely nothing wrong with her. We don't know why you passed out. Your blood pressure is normal. Everything's normal. There's nothing wrong with you. We don't know why you fainted, right? And I thought, how ironic. I mm. said maybe because it was exactly the same moment. Mm. Maybe she could feel. You know, my fear, my anxiety, you know, it was probably so overwhelming. And because, you know, there's a nexus between my mom and I, you know, yeah. we probably we share the same frequencies anyways, you know. Um, you know, maybe she maybe she sensed or experienced my, in her mind that something bad was happening. She just didn't know what it was at the time, right? And so, and that put her down, made her lightheaded. Um, then it happened again. Years later, my father had a heart attack, um, you know, from smoking, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, he, um, you know, he's supposed to stop, but he didn't stop. And then, you know, a few years later, I was in Portugal with my special forces team, and we're doing a live environment training. So I was in, actually lived, I was in Lisbon. Um, each of my team lived with these Portuguese families throughout the city. You know, we were just a couple months learning the language and just hanging out. And one day, I'm, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna meet my team as a Sunday, um, Sunday afternoon. We're gonna meet at this outdoor cafe. And uh, in the meantime, I just walked around all day, kind of shopping. But while I was walking around, I kept thinking about my dad, right? I kept just kept popping in my mind. And I thought about his heart attack. And I thought about, you know, just dad just kept coming to mind. I don't know why. And uh, I just kept mulling it over, right? And, uh, and so later on that evening, I met my team. And we're sitting at this table outside this cafe. And uh, my team leader shows up, Kit and the captain. And he's like, hey, Comstock. He goes, did you talk to your wife yet? I go, no. She'd been trying to call and reach you all day long. This was before really cell phones. You know, everybody had a cell phone, especially overseas, right? And uh, I go, no, dude, I've been here all day. She goes, you, goes, you need to call, your, call home, call your wife right now. Said, Shit, man. So I get up and I run to phone booth. I make an international call to my mom. And uh, first thing my wife says is, okay, don't panic. Okay, your father's all right, but he had another heart attack. And I'm like, how the hell did I know that? Yeah. How did I know that? You know? Dude, it's hey man, it's a it's a story that I've only told my parents and one other friend, man. April fifteenth, twenty fourteen is the day my oldest sibling committed suicide. The night before, I was down. This was in Maryland. I was down in Georgia visiting my girlfriend at the time at UGA. The night before, I mean, I haven't talked to her in years since we broke up, but you should, I guarantee you, you contact her. And she would t say, "Yeah, I remember that." She literally we were sleeping. Her head was on my chest. And I remember she woke me up because she said she woke up because on her ear, she could hear my heart thumping so hard. She said it woke her up and she looked at me and you know, I was sweating and sleeping. Oh, you're having a nightmare. Woke me up. Said, what's wrong? And I was like, I was like, I swear to God. I was like, I just saw my older brother. Like I saw him like walking around his room. Like I saw him like picking up a gun and I saw him like getting in his car. And like, I'd known he had been depressed for years. It was just, and I was like, I saw him. I was like, I literally saw him get in the car and drive away. And then, like, I saw, I saw him commit suicide. Wow. And she was like, wow. So he did. And I remember for privacy issues, just for family privacy, I won't go into all the details. But I, I went through literally looking at like text messages with family members and him. I mean, you know, emergency response. It happened to the minute that I, that I saw what happened. And, wow. dude, that, that fucked me up on such a level because it was like it's one thing to have it be, you know, just in itself, suicide is terrible. Dude, I saw it like, I saw like the room. 
I saw like where he was going. I saw a sleep down in Georgia, Athens, Georgia, number one party school in the nation with my hottest fuck girlfriend, like, you know, farthest thing from my mind. I'd got my tonsils out a couple weeks earlier and I'm finally healed up. So I was like, I can go down and drink. I'm not on Vicodin anymore. Right. Dude. And it wasn't just like a panic attack. Like, Oh, I think something's wrong. It was like, I saw exactly what was happening. I was like, I saw him like what he was doing and where he, and yeah, through, through text messages with, you know, just the last text messages with him and other family, I pieced the picture together. Dude, it happened to the minute. What? Yeah. Distance, 599 miles. I looked it up. 599 miles. Two in the morning. What, what the fuck is that? Yeah. What, what is uh, There's that? something there. You know, <clears throat> this is all, it goes back to what we've been talking about. You know, this whole thing about frequency and energy. Um, it's a thing. It's a real it's thing. Real. It's um, real as, it's one, sorry to interrupt you. One thing I always think about is, you know, what, what happened when people used to get sick in like the 1500s? Oh, they're possessed by a witch. They have depression or anxiety or what, you know, before that, think about illnesses. Think about pandemics before we knew what viruses were. Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a demon sweeping the nation. People are dying. Yeah. They're coughing. That was black magic. So they'd burn people at the stake, you know, and they'd invoke the priests. But they didn't know what that was. And now you fast forward because they couldn't see it, you know, microscopic before even uh, microscopes. Imagine if they come forward to 2020. And we're like, oh, yeah, no, that's a virus. And it's, you know, the DNA and the RNA is recombinating and it's going through. And they're like, oh, we're like, yeah, no, it, it could definitely see, seem like magic. That's one thing I always think about is like, maybe it's 2050, maybe it's 2250, who knows? But I feel like at some point they're going to go back and be like, oh, yeah, no, they probably used to think that that was like, you know, demons or something. But yeah, no, don't they know that, you know, you pull open like a, a med school textbook and be like, oh, yeah, in the year 2155, you know, scientists. Bob Smith discovered the Smith effect. And it's how, you know, we all have electrical fields around us. And those between family members and those that you love are very interconnected and, you know, electron entanglement. And they could even connect each other, you know, on opposite sides of the world. They're going to look back at us and be like, oh, man, that must have freaked some people out. But that's how I look at it. Is it very real? But I just think think it's very simply a science we haven't discovered. I don't think it's magic. I think it's a science we haven't discovered. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. You're right. We don't know everything, and but a lot of this, a lot of these guys, a lot of these scientists have dialed in on it. Um, and uh, you know, there's more, but uh, you know, essentially, you know, it's a thing. Uh, I attributed my success and and my lack thereof to my failures. Mm. Um, you know, if I don't apply it properly, if I don't have the right mindset, but I've already proven to myself time and time again. You know, it's a, it's a, it is a thing. It's a, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking way outside the box. Um, you have to think a certain way. You have to think positively. It's not just positively. Um, it's, it's, you know, people talk about visualization. I hear performance coach talk about visualization all the time, but they don't explain what, what does that mean? Visualization, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so, and then we hear about muscle memory. Okay. Your muscles don't remember shit. Um, it's your nervous system that remembers, remembers yeah. it, right? Um, you know, willpower, you know, you gotta, you know, willpower, you know, all the willpower in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get you anywhere if you don't have imagination. Right. And so, so there's a lot of these things that are involved right in this, in this system of autogenic conditioning more than I could possibly, um, talk about here today. But, um, but I do provide, uh, I was gonna say, you do know, you and Joe uh, provide that with tier one performance? I, yeah. Um, that's kind of my forte is, uh, autogenic conditioning, this whole, uh, you know, process for self-actualization, um, using your mind, thinking asymmetrically and how to channel your energies, uh, you know, to, you know, not just your inner, not just your way of thinking, but your way of talking, speaking, uh, neuro-linguistic programming and things like that to get you going in the right direction. You want to go literally overnight. You can literally, literally start succeeding overnight. I mean, it's that effective and that fast. Um, yeah that fast i mean literally i can go on i got a thousand stories like that where you know literally overnight i've you know like i mentioned the other two earlier but uh just some short terms you know um low level stuff but i need to do it tomorrow and i need to do it fast and do it right boom you know i can do it um it is a thing i do teach it um but i tie it into a lot of other areas um you know things about going to self-leadership um as i mentioned a minute ago you know self-actualization um, I tie in the metaphysical aspect of it, uh, kinetic molecular theory. Um, so there's a lot of really abstract stuff that, you know, yeah, you can learn, you know, pieces of it here and there in school, but you're not going to learn how to, you know, 
um, basically harness all this stuff together and then use it and apply it to your success. I always tell people you can spend a lot of money going to college, you know, for a piece of paper, right? A certificate. Yeah. And here's the funny part, right? Like I got a doctorate, I got a master's degree and I look back, I'm like, what did I learn? And I realized they didn't teach me anything. Actually, they gave me a homework assignment. I went home and did all the research, figured yeah. it out myself and then gave them an essay, right? I taught yeah. myself, you yeah. know? And it, so, you know, I paid a lot of money to do my own research, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, and so, <clears throat> You know, I tell people all the time, you know, you can invest, you know, whatever, 20, 30, 40, 60, 80,000, $100,000 in, in an education, get that piece of paper, go, I, I did it, I went. Um, yeah. and, and not even work in that profession, which most people don't. Yeah. Um, or you can spend a smaller, a fraction of that, you know, and, uh, and learn, learn how to apply, you know, these fundamentals to success. I own three, uh, I've owned three companies. I still own one in Bali. Um, and it's doing okay, even though we have the virus going on right now, it's still, it's still mm -hmm. flat and stable. Um, and it'll pick back up, but uh, I've owned three companies. I've had two small businesses among all the other things I've done in life. Um, and I was able to do that, not because I have a master's degree or a PhD. Um, it's because of a way of thinking and this imagination. If you, if you can imagine something, um, it can be so. Um, you just gotta, you gotta have to really want it and feel it and experience it in the here and now. So there's a lot of stuff that goes there. And so I do teach that. Um, if anybody's interested, um, you can look me up on info at tier one performance coaching. Um, everyone, info at tier one performance coaching.com. Um, I'm easy to find on the internet, on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm providing coaching plan. And, um, yeah. So, you know. Again, it's for uh, those that want to succeed. I've had a lot of success. I've trained a lot of people. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's fitness, weight loss, um, professional development, business development. I do a lot of business development stuff for people. Again, it's just it's a way of thinking, man. It's, that's what, all it comes down to. This way of thinking is a, is a frequency, okay? It's like, cha it's like changing the, the dial on a radio, right? Um, you don't like this song. It's, you know, sad, depressing. You dial it up a little bit more further. You're on, you know, hard rock. You know, yeah, it's jamming, yeah. right? So it's it lifts you up, right? It's a different, and it's a different frequency. They're different. It's literally a different frequency. Yeah. Not only the radio, but the music is on a different frequency. Yeah, right. And it changes your mood as well. Mm -hmm. And so, what we're going to do is teach you how to change your mood from within. All right, and put yourself on another frequency level for success. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, so much to this thing, but uh, so that's what I do, man. That's where I'm at. Um, you know, okay. and. Uh, you know, we, um, you know, you know, me and Joe, you know, this is, uh, this is kind of, uh, this is our passion, man. Um, can I, you know, we look, can I get, a, uh, can, can I get a, uh, can I get a friend discount if I do it? Absolutely, man. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I legit, um, no bullshit. I'm not just saying this. Uh, I'll tell you what, anybody, anybody that comes on your show and hears this and they contact me, you know, I'll give them a discount. Woo. Um, so, you know, if you're a listener, man, you know, you tell me you've been on this radio show with uh, its podcast, with Tom, you know, we'll hook you up, man. Okay. I'm, not making, I'm not getting rich off this by any means. Um, but uh, to give you an example, I've got nine students this week um, that I'm coaching just this week alone. And it's at two hours each. That's 18 hours of teaching. Okay, spread that out over five days. That's a lot of... Uh, that's a lot of instruction on top of all the other stuff I do, the business development in Bali. I'm actually doing business coordination in Bali with some, with Canadians. Uh, and I got a lot of irons in the fire. And, uh, and so this is not my primary effort, but it's something I like to do on the side. And uh, so, you know, I've got to get compensated for my time. I mean, 18 hours, Absolutely. I mean, I need to make, you know, I have to put 18 hours into another business. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with making money, man. There's nothing wrong with not. it. It's fucking, yeah. That's, People that have a problem yeah. with it, like, oh, you charge for it? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I eat and I have a home and I have a clean <laughs> that goes in my car. There are expenses. Shit costs yeah. money, you dirty communist. But yeah. <laughs> on that note, 4 p.m., Dale, I said I'd only keep you for an hour. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right, man. I'll link all your stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm interested. I'm actually, yeah. I'm, I don't have any money, but... <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna say, I, I fucking had a job of coronavirus when that uh when it uh when all that goes away and I can start working again. Yeah, I'm actually um, no bullshit. I'm gonna do you and uh, Joe Teddy's tier one performance and uh, I'll use awesome, my man. podcast to show the success of it or lack yeah, thereof. Yeah. We will see. Um, uh, yes, 
you'll yeah. you'll succeed. I guarantee, man. Yeah. I, you, I guarantee. It. I don't like to guarantee anything, but um, you will see results. Everybody that I've yeah. coached so far has seen results. And oh, yeah. nothing else. I'll change your perspective on life. You'll challenge paradigms, and uh, oh, yeah. that's, that's the key to is challenging all these paradigms. You know, and then uh, you know, and uh, making those adjustments in your life for success. Um, but anyways. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having right, me on the show, Thank brother. you very much. Thank you very much for coming on. Fucking love having you on, Dale. Let's definitely do another one. And tell, hey, right. tell, tell Joe to stop being Joe Tanner. I stop being a stranger. He came on, no. did two episodes, and bailed. Man, it's like it's like I fucking a chicken. Not, it's like fucking a chicken not calling her back. Joe comes on, be- teases us, and then he's gone. He's a player. I feel no, used. I feel used. <laughs> yeah, he'll come. He'll, he'll be happy to come back. I'll get oh, him yeah, back man. Over here. Let's uh, yeah. yeah, let's set up another one. Let's do us three. And yeah, man, cut it out an hour. I think All right. that's, that's a good time to do it. All right, man. Thank you very much for doing it. Dale right. Comstock, see you. Peace, Take buddy. Care. Peace. Bye-bye.